Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join the five-day virtual intercession drawing marathon entitled Drawing on Your Past the Mind's Eye with Graham Nixon and Guests. It's held from Thursday, March 23rd to Monday, March 27th. It's rigorous and immersive. The Studio School's legendary marathons present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first-hand discoveries in marathons propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors. And you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee. You can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light roast subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code ALFREDSTUDIO whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle, check them out. Born in Manchester, England, Jane South worked in experimental theater before moving to the United States in 1989. She has a BFA in theater from the Central St. Martins in London and an MFA in painting and sculpture from UNC in Greensboro. Her solo exhibitions include Shifting Structures Survey at Mills Gallery and Ranked at Spencer Brownstone Gallery, Floor Ceiling at the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum in Connecticut, Box at the Knoxville Museum of Art in Tennessee, and Shifting Structures Stacks at the New York Public Library. She's at group exhibitions that include the Invitational Exhibition of Visual Arts at the American Academy of Arts and Letters, Paper Under the Knife at the Museum of Arts and Design in New York, Burgeoning Geometries at the Whitney Museum of American Art, the Drawing Center, Williams College Museum of Art, Williamstown, Massachusetts, the Albright Knox Gallery, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philly, and the Baltimore Museum of Art. Her work has been reviewed in the New York Times, the LA Times, Art Forum, Art in America, Sculpture Magazine, New York Magazine, Freeze, Art News, New York Arts Magazine, and The New Yorker. She is a contributor to the book, The Artist as Cultural Producer, Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, with editor Sharon Loudon. Her grants and residencies include the Guggenheim Fellowship, the Brown Rizdi Mellon Foundation Fellowship, the Joan Mitchell Foundation Painters and Sculptors Grant, the Pollock Krasner Foundation Grant, a New York Foundation for the Arts Grant, and the Rockefeller Foundation, Bellagio Center in Italy, 
the McDowell Colony, Yaddo, and in 2018, Jane was elected to the National Academy of Design. She is currently the Chair of Fine Arts at the Pratt Institute. I spoke with Jane about growing up a child of two doctors in England, early days in the Lower East Side, thoughts on education, sewing machines, tactility, and much more. Here's our conversation. So, but are you in Brooklyn, Manhattan? Bronx, I am. Upstate? I am. I'm. I'm. I'm in Brooklyn, um, and I am extremely fortunate because I've been here now for about twenty years, and yeah. um, about ten years ago, I live in a small warehouse building, so there are not many units in it. Um, and about 10 years ago, collectively, we applied for loft law status, right. which is kind of this extraordinary thing, really, that in, um, in, in New York, that you often think of as being so ruthless when it comes to right. real estate, this law exists. Uh, so we got that status. So ultimately, that means that for, for the five units that were occupied and applied, you know, we, we now have rent stabilized places. And I have a live work, which I love. So it, it's really, um, it's been an incredible gift that was completely unforeseeable. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a, a gift. It's like there's luck involved in that one, too. I, I used to live, my, one of the first studio live workspaces I had was in uh, Brooklyn and South Williamsburg in the Gretsch building. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, we had this huge space. Vanessa Beecroft was above. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was one side of the building was all artists and the other side was like industry stuff. Like they were making metal rings and jewelry. And so we got the boot out of there. Slowly but surely, they just started kicking people out. And I remember some tried that, that, you know, mm. applying for that. It, it just didn't happen. They got kicked off. And then they cut the power to the building. There was this great time when you would come over the train on the Williamsburg Bridge and you would, someone took tin foil and put owner <laughs> cut power on and made like a sculpture sign in the windows. But now it's, yeah. you know, luxury, luxury condominiums. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, we went through, it wasn't all plain sailing. Trust me. Right. Uh, um, well, worth the fight, though. Worth the fight, right? Worth the fight. But there were just, I mean, things that you just had to have a sense of humor about because otherwise you'd go <laughs> completely bonkers. I mean, they literally replaced the roof on the building. The The floor above me uh, was empty because it's where the original landlord used to live. It had never uh-huh. been renovated um, so when uh, the building got flipped a couple of times and the people that ultimately bought it knew about the loft law, so they understood that we were here and they had to bring the building up to code, but they obviously were doing, you know, the bare minimum in terms right. of looking after us and they replaced the roof and it would absolutely pour with rain in my home. <sighs> I mean, you mean I when would, it was open? Well, they, yes. I mean, they, you know, there's a floor above me, but then the roof, you know, right. they would put, they would put, you know, tarpaulin and bricks and, uh, you know, it was such a, they did not do what you're supposed to do, which is build a temporary roof right. 
yeah. while you're building. You, they, it was. I mean, it was. It was completely mad, and 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 ultimately, I went to the loft board. I actually got through to a human, which was amazing. I spoke to this person, and I said, "This is this is just beyond." And you know, I got one of those responses, which was. Oh well, um, yeah. Well, you know, do you have any documentation? And I said, yeah, I'll send you a video. I sent the video. Within twenty minutes, this person called me back and said, "I'm coming over." (laughs) They should not be doing that. Anyway, so you know, but you had to have a sense of humour because I, I was just running around with buckets and and I became the kind of site manager and you know I was telling the workers who were arriving at 6am you know you get some buckets you where is the shop vac <laughs> it's just mad so you you earned that rent stabilization it's not like it came free you know you had to the, put the, a lot yeah, of blood the, sweat and tears into, blood, into blood keeping s- that Sweat and you know, I mean, I you know, I lived in I actually lived in Williamsburg in the early nineties. I lived on the Lower East uh-huh. Side in the early nineties. So I mean, I've been in all of those places. Um, I think this, <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you're young, there is no squalor. oh, of course, yeah, you know? no. it's it's it was, all it's just romantic. an adventure. <laughs> yeah, and coming from the UK, as as I as probably. You have identified that that I'm not uh, a native New Yorker. Um, coming from the UK, I remember the first place I had was a sublet on what was it Avenue A and Tenth Street, and this was in 1989. And yeah. I remember going in to this uh, studio apartment, and it was absolutely boiling hot. It was snowing outside, and it was boiling hot. And I remember thinking, wow, America is fantastic. Because in the UK, yeah, you just, it was never warm enough. I mean, partly because the weather just gets in your bones, you know. And of course, this is terribly environmentally unacceptable. But, you know, I would have the window wide open and it would be snowing and it would, the, 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 heat was still kicking. I just thought this was the most amazing thing. Was it that yeah. radiator steam heat? Yes. It's like It's like a sauna when it gets like that small yes. apartment and that steam heat. It gets really, you know, you can open up the pores. <laughs> yeah, and it's like having, it's like living with some kind of invisible companion that only speaks in noises. You know, the, the, it, it, right. it was a real presence, you know, the clanging and the banging and the hissing yeah, yeah. and the... I, I love I love all of that and actually where I where I work at Pratt you know they still have I mean it's they they're replacing they're replacing the whole physical plant and it's a it's a it's a major job but yes there's still some of that and sometimes you know it's so loud you know somebody's in a seminar class and it's like bang <laughs> it's just amazing <laughs> I have an idea we could do in New York we patent this where it's like a white noise machine but instead of like a relaxing white noise it's just the clang of like new york city radiators yeah yeah there could be a a whole symphony yeah the the symphony of new york infrastructure yeah yeah that um a right where you're talking about i think that's where brownies was was brownies around back then or did that come in the 90s it was like an indie rock club on a between 
12th, 11th and 12th, somewhere. No, I mean, it was it was King Tut's Wawa Hut and the Pyramid oh Lounge. There was also, what was it called? The Was it the University of the Streets? The, there was this incredible place where there was just a jam session. So, nice. um, you know, there was there was obviously um, in the village, there was still Cafe Wa. Well, there still is. Right. So I used to go there yeah. um, for, and sit in on there. They did an open mic. But then the University of I'm pretty sure it was the University of the Streets was was a kind of much more raw kind of situation. Uh, and the space yeah. was interesting. It, it and, and people would just come in and play. It, it was very informal but um the pyramid club i mean this is this is also coming from uh britain that at, at that point in time when i left it was thatcher's britain it was before the yba's uh new labor and very importantly before the national lottery because it was really the national lottery that funded and still funds the arts right at that time pubs still shut in the afternoon it was it was it was really dull uh it yeah. was and and fraught because you know there was there had been the miners strike and it was it was at the dying end of thatcher um but i i remember when i came to new york i mean it was you know lights action music and it was so easy to live in in terms of socially it felt small compared to in the UK you know you'd have a friend that lived in Kennington and you lived in Haringey and the transportation stopped at midnight and the pub shut so if he wanted to go to a club you'd have to get a night bus just everything you had to plan and of course no cell phones so how did when things went wrong so yeah, it just it just felt that in the in the East Village then uh, it was so easy just to be spontaneous. And then for me, the 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 most extraordinary magical thing was that I met Quentin Crisp at the Pyramid Club. Oh, and wow. for me, you know, Quentin Crisp was just a you know somebody that was almost mythical. Um, yeah. And I'd heard. So you felt that, like you were in the right spot, right? I was just this is mad, you know. This is this is how great is this? Uh, yes. So ab- absolutely, I and I never intended to stay, but you know, as years went on, um, I would go back to the UK and visit and think, yeah, no, no, this is not my home. My home is over there. Yeah. You grew grew up in Manchester, right? No, not really. I was born oh, in Manchester. Born. Um, so, so um, you know, both of my parents are doctors and both of them from Manchester, you know, they met when they were very young. They both went to medical school, blah, blah, blah. But then my dad got, got a job, you know, down south, which is only 200 miles, but it could be just, uh, just it's so different. Um, and so we moved and we lived in hospital accommodation, um, mm-hmm. you know, national health service, not like being a doctor over here in, right. in America. So you, you are essentially government employee. So you're there in kind of government housing, but it was great because that meant that a lot of the other flats, so there were 
was it three or four blocks of flats, not big ones, but only about six stories high, right next to the hospital. And short then commute. very short commute, yeah. And then for uh, um, you know, for for my sister and I who were kids, the there were nurses like in and so in the flat above, um, you know, there was Carol and Delia, and they would babysit for us. And out back, there were fields and blackberry bushes, and so so that was that was terrific. But but you know, it, I remember so well traveling, you know, back up north to see, you know, the the the, the family, and it felt like we defected or something. <laughs> you know, we, we were like the. Yeah, the Southerners. Yeah, um, that was so a, it was a quite real amusing. North versus South vibe, right? Yes, very, yeah, very, I, very I, much I, so. My my limited knowledge of British culture and you know it was really stemmed growing up stemmed from our love of music. Mm-hmm. So when I was young and in a bands, we played shoegazer music. Like we played stuff mm-hmm. that was like pre Brit pop, but um, we were infatuated with a lot of that music you know and then the Manchester scene of all that kind of stuff you know Stone Roses and bands like that before Happy Mondays and we were into that Mm -hmm. stuff so we would get there was a place I grew up in Pittsburgh there was a place where we could get NME you know Mm -hmm. we could like read all about this stuff so Mm. you kind of became familiar with you know Mm. a certain aspect like your my knowledge of that came through music and then I played soccer as a kid so ah right um, oh yeah that yeah Although back then we couldn't really watch it in the States. Mm. So, but, you know, it informed a little bit of the geography and culture, I guess, mm. in a very limited way. Well, and actually but I remember that very well with, with, with the football because, um, you know, I remember my cousins uh, who, who were all a bit older, boy cousins, and they would be, you know, city. You know, you don't sport United. You, you know, United is for the tourists, you know, Man City. And Man City, of course, then were the underdogs. Now, not oh, so yeah, much, although were. now they're yeah. in a lot of lot of trouble with financial inquiries and stuff. But um, so, yeah, so City. So I still support City. I mean, I'm not a serious supporter, but I still, you know, I'm, I'm aware of what's going on with, with Man City because, you know, that's um, the authentic I, team. I won't tell you I'm a United fan. <gasps> well, a lot of Americans are, I have to say. <laughs> Owned by an American, right? Although that's I know, I know. Controversial issues, in its own. I mean, it's where do you start, basically? Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean, with sport in general, it's 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 complicated. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I don't know if you follow it, I, well, it sounds like you do follow it a little I bit. I do. But yeah. The whole Todd Burley Chelsea thing of mm-hmm. <laughs> it's insane. Oh yeah. Although it's no, like it's entered pop culture with the Wrexham stuff, and it's kind of it's cool because when I was a kid, you know, I played soccer travel you know i played my whole life and but you i don't remember i mean I, we didn't have cable really i, I don't remember mm. ever seeing football on tv you know what i mean you wouldn't see yeah it. yeah uh, well we did Maybe clips <laughs> we, of, we yeah, had sure. to suffer it every saturday you know match of the day <laughs> just all afternoon and then the football results in the evening yeah no it was, it was completely embedded and, and wimbledon you know i went i went to school in wimbledon oh, right. and the team yeah. then was just terrible you know come on you dons and you know ultimately they got better but you know you would you would occasionally go and watch wimbledon and it was just so so 
sad and desperate. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, especially now that I'm foreign, really, because I, I, I see Britain so much through the lens of an, of an American. Uh, you know, it is one of those things that, that is so embedded, you know, those moments when you were just, you know, standing there and you're freezing cold and because you never had proper winter clothes. That was that was the other thing. Um, why not? Which I, which, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe because the weather just never got, you know, the, the, it never, you know, somebody said, and, and I don't know who this quote is from, but I think it sums it up. So, and, and the quote is that, that, you know, the British are always talking about the weather, but it's the Americans that really have it. And what yeah, that means to me is, you, you know, are, I guess. Yeah. but it's, you know, you've got, you know, blazing sunshine and crystal blue sky or you've got big storm and downpour or you've got you know freezing and in britain it's just you know everything is kind of gray and drizzly and the sky (laughs) sits on your head and you know so so i think maybe the clothes uh, i i remember the first time that i actually was was out in in the city and it was really cold and i remember thinking i finally learned how to dress for the weather right and i was all toasty yeah. and now i love the cold if it's sunny because it's just i've got a proper coat never had a yeah coat. big parka you know? can help you manage yes. <laughs> gloves Amazing. Amazing. i did it my whole time i was a kid i never had like you know, and when I was in college and stuff, I didn't think about it. I didn't think to go out and buy a parka. So it froze mm. my ass off all the time. And then yeah. I realized, moving yeah. to the city after a few years, well, you get a nice jacket, you're okay. It's not too bad. <laughs> Duh. Although the older I get, the more I like those trips down to warmer climates. <laughs> I'm starting yeah. to understand why all these mm. New Yorkers migrate. <laughs> oh, snowbirds. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not interested in heat. I, I'm interested oh, no? in sunshine. I'm interested in sunshine a lot. But if it's a right. cold, sunny day, you know, where if, if, if there's a place that has one of those little small heaters, you can sit outside and, you know, in a coat and, you know, have a drink. That's oh, lovely. Yeah. Like, I like that. Well, yes. I'm a huge coffee guy, so it always tastes better in the, in the cold. Uh, mm. Although in a few years, you might have to move north to get a cooler climate. <laughs> it's like warming up. Oh, here. my Lord. Are we going to go yeah. there with everything that's no, wrong no, with that's everything? Mm. that's bad well Mm. so all right so growing up in england uh, so your parents are doctors Mm -hmm. how does creativity enter the fold were they did they sideline did they have like hobbies or were there people tangentially around or was it trips to museums or how did you first start engaging Mm. with creativity i mean most kids draw you know yeah i was i i I did you know it's funny um i i don't remember at what point somebody kind of identified me as being you know artistic you know you get these kinds of names you you know oh so and so's good at this or you know some you know my sister oh you know sally's good at maths jane's good at art um i mean personally i think that that uh, scientists you know doctors i mean i i think that the the commonality is a curious mind right lots of questions how does this work and what happens if you do this to this and what happens if so so that i think the sciences and the arts are very close together i mean and it's not just my parents you know an awful lot of people in my family um are are medical so you know uncles aunts cousins grandparents it's 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 a disease (laughs) um 
So, <laughs> um, so uh, I think, and, and you know, my sister and I, we we went to a, you know a, quite a Victorian school for girls. You know, girls public day school trust, and they and they didn't really do art. I mean, rudimentary art, but art was certainly not. You know, you were all supposed to. I mean, this was very progressive in you know when women first were were able to get educated. I mean, this was women becoming lawyers and doctors and right. so that so it was all very good at that time but of course by the time I went went there um if you weren't going to go to Oxford or Cambridge then it was sort of hmm well <laughs> you have to figure out what you're going to do right. but um but my grandfather um not a doctor a bit of an exception um on my dad's side although actually to be fair it's more on my mum's side that they're medical my my you know the class thing so my mother were were my mother's family were more um you know kind of upper middle class and my father's family were more lower middle class so um and they lived in these different neighborhoods in Manchester and all of that but um so my dad's dad Tom was a draftsman Mm-hmm. um and and the the famously um if family memory uh, you know we're all unreliable narrators right um but the family law is that um tom drafted the what was it the left wing of the lancaster bomber or something uh, you know that that was, wow. that was tom's <laughs> i mean why only the left wing I, I mean i don't know maybe that was political um <laughs> But anyway, um, but Tom used to draw. So Tom, um, in his time off, would would go and sit in the churchyard and draw the church or draw this, you know, rather lovely little pen and ink drawings. Yeah. So I think that was, well, there you, you know, that was a something. Was the and line. then, and Tom would take me to when when they visited. I remember going to Tate Britain um, with with Granddad uh, and going to see Turner. Turner was, oh, nice. and actually, my my father also, you know, Turner is is a, is a painter. He he really appreciates. Um, so yes, I th- I think I think definitely it's there, right? I mean, yeah, I I, yeah. I don't believe I I I believe that that you know this notion talent. Um, I mean, I believe in impetus. I believe in drive. I believe that 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 a lot of people who are still artists, you know, in their thirties, forties, fifties. Um, it, there's a there's a necessity there. Yeah. Um, but but and talent, a commitment. you know, and a commitment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that that soccer. I used to hear it growing up. I always say it. It's um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. <laughs> it, I haven't I heard that. Totally. You know, it. You could mm, say. Mm. You know, there's a lot of lot to be said for natural talent in certain things. Mm. Like you could be a very gifted cellist but if you're not practicing and not you know being inventive and yeah, creative with absolutely. it absolutely yeah, you know yeah so i think that's yeah. part of it yeah i think that that whole migrating kind of like digging into the past about creativity is like twofold everyone's kind of creative in a way mm-hmm. like we all think creatively to some extent mm. so there's the you know that it's 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 within us but a lot of times as a young person you have to see some manifestation i mean some people don't but often it it gives you a green light if you see some sort of manifestation of creative abilities becoming part of something someone does you know what i mean like there was a guy down the street from me 
a couple blocks away who had an art studio and a gallery and I went and saw that and I was like, oh wow, people do this, you know? Absolutely. I mean, oh, definitely. Were working yeah. class, you know, they didn't do, I mean, mm. my mom like was into coloring books or had some crayons and, you know, we would go see art sometimes at the Carnegie Museum, but it was basically like seeing something like that. It's like, oh wow, you can, you can do this, you know? Yes, and I think that's, I think because I didn't really see that in kind of contemporary life, I, I think, yeah. and also because of the school that I went to, um, I think that's why I actually did my undergraduate work in theatre. Right. Because at my school, um, there was an incredible art teacher. And I think this is also where I've been lucky and this is also why I'm interested in education because um, at key moments, I had incredible teachers. And so the, I, you know, the notion that at this school that was you know, everything I've described, Mrs. Todd, um, you know, there, there was a spark about Mrs. Todd um, and I was drawn to that. And what Mrs. Todd did was the sets for the plays that the school did. Right. Um, and so I would work with her on that. And my parents, who were very into the theatre, I think for them, they were like, oh, you know, ding, ding, ding. That's, that's, a, that's a pathway. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad that I did go that route, although it was pretty clear from the moment I got there <laughs> that I was not going to do this in the way right. that I think a lot of my peers were. But what it gave me was this vocabulary of making and this experimentation with materials and processes without thinking about making art. Because that's a, a lot that's of the gift, time, oh yes, and I think as educators, a lot of the time people say, you know, it's so great working with sophomores, because they're not paralyzed by right. the capital A. Um, yeah. So it was really, I mean, theatre is inherently interdisciplinary, collaborative space, but you also use cheap materials, and then you have right. you literally have this this scenario where simultaneously you are seeing the materials right and 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 the way that things are constructed i'm thinking about you know if, if you are standing in the wings and it's a fairly traditional proscenium art production so let's say the set is a living room so if you're standing in the wings you are simultaneously seeing how the thing is constructed just the you know, the, the mess of the construction, the sandbag holding the whole thing up. And then you're also seeing the transformation. You're seeing how that then becomes a door and this has got wallpaper on it and there's a light. And, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's an incredibly marvellous thing. And I've always loved that about, about the theatre or that kind of theatre. Just the craziness of it and the construction yeah. of these two parallel worlds and then you know the moment that that actor moves from that stage into the wings and they drop this kind of layer of of performativity um it, it's it's just it's just a marvelous 
is a marvellous space conceptually and also I think in terms of how to think about making and what materials can do and the activity, that moment of transformation from, from something to something else. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a, it's a whole different sort of environment. If you think about, you know, because sometimes when I go see <coughs> performance art, it feels a little bit like, you know, theater in a sense. Of mm. There's an environment where something is happening, but it's usually a little more geared towards the performance and maybe somewhat less towards the environment, although there is that consideration. But, you know, when you go to a gallery, it's just th- there's like such a default to the hierarchy of, you know, art, fine art, mm. capital A art. I mean, as someone entrenched in pedagogy and uh, the educational world, do you find that that past of a liberation of being outside the institutional framework of hierarchical thinking about ways of making that you try to embed that into you know programs and the way people are teaching and because that is really I never I would never have thought Mm. of that but it's funny in thinking about in reading your bio and that you know you started out in theater talking about thinking about set design and like backdrops and all that stuff and then looking Mm. at your work I was like oh yeah okay there's Mm. a sort of you know there's a a it feels like there's a slight bit of freedom of thinking about you know 2d versus 3d versus installation versus it's just kind of like making in the space and there's a tactile uh, fluidity to the way this stuff can be shown and how it lives in the space that's not your default when it comes to especially when it comes to education because even if people are trying to buck this institutional hierarchical canonization of medium it's it's hyper conscious of that it's you're being told Mm, okay we're being interdisciplinary everyone you can (laughs) use that and you can also do that Mm. so it feels kind of like i don't want to say forced but you know the interdisciplinary i never heard that in school once Mm, in all my years you know and it was like you know the painting buildings here sculptures there whatever and you could you know some people work between i did but you never heard that now it's kind of institutionalized but it's a structure do you how do you Mm. navigate that whole phenomenon of the way you came up and then the way these young people are coming up today easy question you could probably answer there there you go that's a that's a one (laughs) sentence answer i've got for you there well i mean i think this is what i also find fascinating about being in this kind of institutional academic space as a fine arts department because because i think that that really you know to be an artist Um, You know, what does it mean to kind of choose to be an artist in 2023, you know, in a culture that is, you know, capitalism gone bonkers, where a lot of what we are told is of value is product and productivity um, and all of these quite frankly, extremely superficial goals. And simultaneously, we have a mental health crisis, right? There's, there's, a, there's just it, it. So people are miserable. And now, of course, these are vast generalizations. But but, right. you know, so so I, I think that the um, and maybe it's not even the role of the artist. Maybe it, maybe this is this is why an artist, you know, is an artist. Um, you know, we 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 tend to you know have this 
kind of a bit of a critical distance. I think that's why sometimes a lot of artists kind of uh, at least think of themselves when they're kids or they feel a bit lonely or isolated because they feel a little outside. They're not fully enmeshed or maybe fully sort of socialized to kind of think along with whatever the, the kind of culture says you, you should be and think. Um, so I also think that, that that an artist is a bit of an irritant, um, you know, and that doesn't only mean the artist who is making work that is quite clearly political. You know, I absolutely right. think that just that choice to be an artist and to kind of, you know, you know, let's say you're a studio artist, you know, how bizarre that you are by yourself, you know, for eight, 10, whatever hours a day, and, and you may be doing something. I often think of this and artist friends, you know, we laugh about it. You know, what did you do? I spent all day, you know, taping a line and painting a piece. You know, so sometimes you are, this is so absurd. It's like a Samuel Beckett. Um, so I think that that is also a kind of extraordinary space to occupy in the world, in the, in the kind of world we live in. So I know this sounds like it has absolutely nothing to do with interdisciplinarity, no, but, but I'm, yeah. I'm getting there. So, so I also think that, that you know, to be a, fine arts department in an institution even an art and design institution because you know you would think that you were already kind of on the same page um i think you can also be a bit of an irritant or be be the kind of department that is sort of pushing you know a little bit against the kind of institution um and because we know like any institution for obvious reasons uh, you know very slow to turn around so yes we're having conversations about decolonization and blah 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 but you know we know that the fundamental structure of education is a kind of 19th century factory model, right? So, you know, right. how, how the hell are you going to turn that around? But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be having the conversation because ultimately, you know, the, you have to play for the long game. If you're only interested in the short, in the short term, you know, you, you might as well not do anything. So I think, I think it's so amusing, I think, to a lot of us that, you know, we're still talking about, oh, you know, the need for interdisciplinary disciplinary education because our students are already doing it. Um, right. And I think, you know, when I look at, at uh, I think the great thing about the fine arts department um, at Pratt is we have we're big. We have all of these different areas of emphasis. I think it's important to identify the discipline, right? Because if you look at painting right. as a discipline, I mean, wow, there is an incredibly rich, interesting, fantastic, you know, problematic history. You know, you can do a deep dive just if you look at that in terms of, you know, materials and processes, you know, let alone concepts of, you know, the frame, the rectangle, the grid, the, you know, modernism, you know, the, I mean, and that's just West, the Western history of. So, of course, you need to, you know, it's not, oh, we don't, those are all gone now and everything is just loosey-goosey. No. Um, but the important thing, um, of course, because why would you put any limits on creativity? Why would you ever say to a student uh, who is, let's say, in your painting area, oh, you can't do that, that's not painting. I mean, what right. an absurd thing to no do, especially... Anymore, well, I mean, there are... I think, I think that there is not... Um, no, nobody does it as blanketly as that. Right. But I do think we still have kind of hierarchies of practices. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes that's playful. Right. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's I, like abstraction versus representation. I mean, everyone's well, exactly. got, there, exactly. unfortunately, there's yeah, a lot of professors who opinion. see work through the lens of their work, which I always think is problematic exactly. as an educator. Yes. And it's like, yes. you know, 
Like, I remember being in graduate school crits at Yale where, and I didn't realize it until years after I graduated, that that critique of my work was a fight between that person's work and that yeah, person's of work. Course. <laughs> yeah, you were, just, you were just caught in the crossfire. This is a pawn in a game. <laughs> and it, you don't realize that at the moment. You're just like, oh my God, I'm so scared. What's gonna happen? You know what I mean? I but then I, in retrospect, you're like, oh, yeah. oh, it was the abstract dude with his machismo yeah. versus, oh, yeah. you know, the, mm. the anti tactile you know, whatever it yeah so yeah. it's uh, yeah. i think that kind of thing is problematic but i think that that model has been moved away from but the speed yeah. of the institution can never catch up with the speed of technology at this point so i think mm-hmm. uh, personally i think the value is being able to slow down that mm. mind in the studio and being able to d- find the value of downshifting a little bit and slowing down where everything these days is so you know Mm. scrolled through in like two seconds you know what i mean and and it becomes an area in a space where people can slow and think and and well and not think i mean to be honest i I think a lot of it is is um you know experiencing not thinking um and and it's funny because i i actually talked to a reporter the other day who was interested in in um you know approach pratt um, in relation to ai Mm -hmm. um and you know because when photography was invented, oh, you know, is this a threat to artists? You know, when the Xerox machine, oh, is this, you know, Photoshop? I mean, you know, uh, uh, yes. And I, and I think yeah. it's, no, it's brilliant because artists will do weird things with it. You know, it will become a tool, but it will also be an inspiration. Um, and it ultimately, you know, what you cannot deny, I think. And, and at every step, you know, when the Kindle came out, oh, you know, no one's going to read books anymore. Um, we we have bodies. <laughs> you know, we experience things not just kind of cognitively, um, and I think partly because it's quite difficult to talk about what those experiences feel like. That is part of the reason we have art. You know, yeah. I mean, when you go to a funeral, um, you know, you're listening to music, you're hearing poetry. It's so hard to express things that are so emotionally. Um, complicated and so phenomenologically kind of complicated, um, you know, the sublime, the, you know, the feeling of, of, you know, rain on your skin, all of those things. That's why we have uh, these other modes of talking about our experience. And so actually, you know, you're not going to always be doing that with your cognitive language formed mind. Um, you, right. you are, you are, and, and it's so interesting um, it, when, when the number of times, and I think anybody that teaches will recognize this, um, that a lot of the time you're doing a studio visit um, and, you know, you're looking at the work and, you know, and then you see something over there and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and they're, oh, no, 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 that, I just did that. That's, <laughs> mm. you know, that. and then you have the whole conversation about intentionality um, because, because you know people just think and of course they do because this is what we're taught then unless you know unless this was my intention to do this it is of no value and i think a lot of what we try to do in in education in art is to is to kind of break that down um and say no you know i mean we talk in abstract and we talk about experimentation risk failure but what we don't talk about enough i think is um you know is you you it, at some point, um, you need to shift your mindset to understand that you were doing things 
that are of value without you being able to translate those into into words. Um, Hallelujah. I mean, right? that's you know experience. Yeah, but p- yeah. But p- it, it's funny because that frust- or the defensiveness that you get from like let's take AI as an example of like oh is this, this is is this going to kill art that that mm-hmm. perpetual fear, I think is a, is reflective of artists' insecurity that what they're doing isn't as is of no actual real value. Mm. Like there's a, a danger that what we're doing is. Just you know, like you said, just taping lines or whatever. Like who's, yeah, who yeah, does yeah. this? This isn't like yeah, play. food mm. or building mm. thing or you know, it's just superfluous. Mm. Which when it's not, it's an it's an essential mm. part of our existence is to be mm. creative and communicate on a level that is outside of you know pen mm. and paper and just. But uh, people mm. just constantly are worried that this is the end of our, like if I hear the end of something <laughs> again, it's like well, are we going to keep tripping over that oh same pothole gosh. every time? Well, you know, but then, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to kind of, you know, try to put into words, um, you know, what, what it is. I mean, I, lo- I actually, um, Brian Eno, uh, there's a great talk that he gave in Moscow. Um, and, and one of the things that he said was um, that art is everything you don't have to do, right? Which just seems no and then you start thinking about it and and that this also speaks to people's innate you know or creativity is just something that people always do right from as long as as long as we can see what people across time and across culture did you know they have been you know making things that are not functional they have been you know having different haircuts and jewelry you know so so it's it's you know you could say that that's that that is at least you know not that anybody really or I I don't ever want to define art i mean I, I i really don't care about that conversation is it art or not what i care about is is it is it is it worth my time is it interesting right. does it does it say something to me and actually just because it doesn't say something to me doesn't mean necessarily it's going to say something not say something to the next person so exactly yeah you know and i think this goes back to um what again i think is so important especially for um for 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 younger artists uh to 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 know is that I used to, when I first came to, to New York, and this is also why museums should be free, end of conversation, should be free. Um, you know, when you're young, you, life is complicated. You haven't done any of these things before. You don't know that when you feel a bit crap, you are going to inevitably feel better, right? You haven't had enough cycles to kind of trust that, that things, you know, all of that. Um, and, and, you know, this again, of course, before the internet, before the mobile phone, you know, where I lived, we didn't have a TV because we couldn't afford to pay for cable. Um, I would go up to the Met and there were a couple of paintings that I would look at and they would recharge me. And when I was just feeling a bit in the, in the, in the doldrums, um, that's where I would go. And I, re- I would come out and I would sit on the steps of the Met and I would feel connected to something that felt meaningful um you know something i couldn't really describe wow what gift to give to another person um and i think i think especially in the in over the last few years i think understandably a lot of artists are thinking you know if i'm not actively you know making you know socially uh, motivated work and i'm not actively making work about climate change you know i'm not doing enough i'm not contributing i i feel guilty i'm in my studio just doing what i want to do how selfish well you know i i i just i don't think that's that's true 
because we need many things in life. We need moments of contemplation. We need moments of joy. Um, we need art to be able to offer much. And yes, there are great artists doing really important work that are about social justice and about climate change. But every now and then, a human being may just need to have a quiet moment to connect across time, space with another human being in a way you can't put into words, but boy, does it rejuvenate you. It's meaningful, right. it's valuable, it's so important. Yeah, it's it's so funny how art has that, well, especially these days, I've, I noticed it, that, that charge of like, and, and I see it in students where they feel like, oh, I've, mm. I've got to be making some sort of statement of change or my work has to be blah 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 mm. you know what i mean but like in music it's never like that they mm. get yes, away with it absolutely. like could you imagine if every song was a mm. punk song that was like you know screw the yeah. government or whatever i mean that would be exhausting you need yeah moments of quiet or moments of beauty or just something that resonates in you mm. because that's important you know yeah. that's yeah. It's just as important in a way as the mm. other stuff is. It's like this balance. And the music thing is good because I, because I also sometimes think, you know, would anybody go up to, I don't know, Philip Glass and say, what is your, what is your music about? <laughs> no, it's an is experience. It we aren't, well, <laughs> let's say Beethoven. You know, we, we understand that it is yeah. an experience. So why do we insist when we walk into a gallery or a museum or encounter a piece of art, you know, public art, why is the first thing that, that, that we, we want to do go, hmm, let me figure this out? You know, it, it, yeah, it, it's so bizarre. Be <laughs> well, I think I there's a, a, a... Or we want everything to be the... explained and understood. Exactly, exactly. We want to like, know, but it's a cultural thing. You know, that's, this is something that isn't always... I mean, certainly in different cultures across time, no, that's not how that's not how so-called art, of course, not really called art, was. You know, there, there were you know rituals, dance. Um, you know, people making structures. You know, in order to connect with other parts of the capacity of their of their being. Um, that's right. all experiential. Uh, so I think it's it's partly again, you know, the so-called progressive um, culture that we're in and you know i mean this is not new i mean if if you if you look back to the enlightenment and you had um a lot of artists I may mean, think of alfred jerry and pataphysics you know when you've got this privileging of science you know all of a sudden oh my god we can understand everything you know and and you right. know god is dead but you know it's okay we've got newton and einstein but, but, you know, you already had people like Adorno, um, you know, in the kind of serious sort of critical way going, hang on a minute, you know, we're, you know, we're losing, um, you know, meaning. We're, we're, we're actually, you know, if, if everything, if we kill off myth, you know, we're, 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 we're missing a kind of another space in which we can, you know, talk about what it is to be a human being on the planet. And, you know, the, the, so the science yeah. of imaginary solutions, you know, what a great kind of, you know, sort of FU to, to science. So I think, I think this has been going on for, for a long time, um, you know, yeah. since. And, and, and we're, we pit one kind of knowledge against another in a, in a hierarchical way um, and we lose. Why can't these things coexist? Why are we so afraid of talking about the kind of mystical, spiritual, sublime, emotional? Um, you know, we need all of it. Yeah, I think some people just don't have the 
they're exhausted from the day to day. They don't want to go into a gallery and figure it out. <laughs> just they they would just want to see a picture. Mm. And the funny thing is, is like, if you look at a beautiful car, right, like a really mm. amazing, fast, well-made car, people don't open the hood and expect to know how it works. But mm. they can get in the car mm. and it can drive and they can look at it and it mm. can move them and take them somewhere. Art is like that, but there's no, it's not taking you anywhere literal. It's, it, you have mm. to engage your mind for it to take you somewhere. It takes more, uh, you know, agency on the viewer's mm. part. And, and then there's this feeling of like, well, I don't get it. Like, what if I don't get it? And feeling like out yes, of the loop like of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to study it. It's a mm. language like anything else. It's like you exactly. walk into a party and mm. everyone's speaking Mandarin and you're like, well, mm. I can't. I don't get it. Mm. I don't get what anyone's saying. It's like you wouldn't expect to be able to speak that language. Mm. Just And the same thing with art. You mm. have to understand the language of the medium and, mm. and art to engage in that mm. today. You know, and once people start taping bananas to walls, everyone's like, ah, oh, fucking, I'm out of here. I don't get it. This is bullshit. <laughs> well, but I also, but I mean, I think it's, it's, yeah, um, the, the, there's a, that, that's why we also call, you know, talk a lot, you know, about the discipline of the practice, you know, showing up, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, you discover things. It's not that you sit down, think about it, and then kind of fabricate it. But, you know, I also think the question that, that, that we ask, um, you know, students to think about, and I think you know, every artist thinks about it, is you know who who are you in conversation with? Who is your audience? Because because for some people, it's just as just as valid and important to make work accessible to those that. But you know, but there can be different kinds of work that is more or less accessible. Um, and one of the right. things actually, my my father loves to tell this story. Um, and and again, who knows if it's true or not? But but it's a good story. And it's Margaret Atwood, supposedly, you know, at some dinner, some awards dinner or something, um, and is sitting next to some you know illustrious um, neurosurgeon. Um, you know, who, who turns around to her and says, oh, you know, yes, Margaret, I've, you know, I've read your books, you know, very impressive and incredible. And, you know, actually, um, you know, I've been thinking, you know, when I retire, I, I think I might, um, I think I might write a book. Yeah. And she turns around, she goes, oh, you know, interesting. Yeah, because, you know, I think when I retire, I might become a neurosurgeon. <laughs> You know, it is. It's that that notion. You know, I can yeah, see they're up totally. and I can do that. I can do You know, that that it's just. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to have a crack at that because you know. Right. Easy. No, it doesn't just doesn't good. take much. Doesn't take much training. Well, or, twilight you know. of my. I'll just, you <laughs> I'll know, have a go. I'm a painter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And yes, I mean, well, you know, but that's again, you know, that the, cause, you know, cause I said, I didn't care whether something was called art or not. So it's not, it's not that I'm then, oh, well, you know, how dare you? It's just sure. Have a go, but it's probably not going to be very interesting. Um, and of course the analogy right. falls down when you think, well, of course, nobody's going to allow Margaret Atwood to, you know, look into someone's head, but, um, but you know, the neurosurgeon might just be contributing just another kind of meh into the world. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, in, in thinking about your work, I mean, what was your, the origins of your work when you started? I mean, you know, you're, you're sort of working creatively in a, in a sort of context of the theater, but then how did you, when was the moment where you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> I think I want to. Brian, it's like so how, weird because that? I, I completely forgot. We were, I'm like, oh my God, are we going to talk about my work now? I'd completely forgotten we might be doing that. <laughs> 
Um, well, it's all, uh, you know, it, talking no, about you and yeah, your yeah. mind and how you think is basically yes, talking about the work. To extent. Sometimes people get irritated because they're like, you win an hour without talking about this person's work. It's like, yeah, but you never get to hear uh, these people talk about their uh, life, yeah, which yeah. informs their work. I, right, right. I literally got that message like once or twice. Oh, it's really? Not, <laughs> I'm being dramatic. But, but you right. know, sometimes I'm self-conscious <laughs> of that. But you never get to hear artists talk no, Just no, I, I look, general, I 100% agree. In fact, I used to do this salon called uh, Flat 46. And, and the mm-hmm. rule was that, um, it, you know, people would give presentations in whatever, you know, somebody made food, somebody, you know, it didn't have to be a PowerPoint. But the rule was you couldn't talk about your own work. It was all about what you were an amateur expert in. Because a lot of artists are really dig deep into something. Right. And it, yeah. it is part of their work. But anyway, so I, I'm totally on board with that. Um, well, I think, again, because because... It was clear to me while I was doing theatre that I wasn't really doing theatre. I mean, I was making installations, but I didn't know that that's what I was making. Um, You know, and Samuel Beckett was, you know, I discovered Samuel Beckett through theatre and, you know, has he he's been my person, you know, ever since really in terms of, you know, the humour, the kind of defiance, the... You know the sort of I can't go on. I'll go on. The you know just so I so what I first did was I um I worked with a small group of people and we only did Samuel Beckett, and that's really when I um you know was doing installations. I mean literally you would be you know walking all over the thing and somebody would pop up from a giant mound of soil and something like that. So, um, but I had also always done a lot of life drawing. Um, in fact, even when I was in high school, um, I would go to these evening classes and do life drawing. Um, and so I was, I was, then when I came to New York and I was living down on Rivington Street in this big loft with three other people and there were always people coming in and out. And, and I had my kind of studio at the front and I had this big old armchair that was covered in paint. So I would say, hey, hey some, somebody just, you know, come sit here and I would paint them. Um, and, you know, I loved Oscar Kokoschka and Lucien Freud and mm-hmm. Paula Rigo. And, and so, you know, all of the paintings from that period, you think, oh, there's her trying to be that person, you know. I mean, but that's how right. you learn, right? So I didn't have a problem with that. But um, so I think, but I, but I think it was, it was, and of course, this is all in retrospect because you know, I didn't know what I was doing and um, that's just the way it goes. It was the materiality of the paint, right? Was was I? I mean, I just loved the mess of it. Yeah. Um, it around, so yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but it was. But it was kind of when I went to grad school. I'd been in New York for about six years, and I thought, oh, I better get out of here. Um, and I'd never been anywhere kind of in America that wasn't a city. So I took a train. And I stopped off at various places um, and I ultimately went to the place that paid me to go there because I thought, you know, coming mm-hmm. from Britain, the idea of paying any money wasn't, well, I didn't have any money either. So um, so I went to the Uni- University of North Carolina, Gre- Carolina Greensboro, yeah. which again, I was, I and I didn't consciously think this at the time, but that it was one of those places that had all of this kind of 19th century infrastructure that was dead so 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 in a way these things became these sculptures you know these old I don't even know what they were tobacco things or so so I think it had that sense of a of a of a place I mean it had a history in terms of civil rights it's where the sit-in at the Woolworths council uh, counter was it had a museum still has an amazing museum the Weatherspoon but I think for me it was completely kind of other 
Um, and, and I'm very grateful I went there. Um, also because there was a lot of freedom because it wasn't some fancy prestigious program. Um, and um, and I, 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 that's where I really started to make sculpture. And I, and I think um, that it, it took a long time you know, it sometimes it's amazing how long it takes to do something that just seems so obvious. It's like, well, why didn't I come right out of undergrad and start making the big constructed things that I ended up by making? Because, duh. But, you know, that's not how life works. So, no, it takes time. Uh, Rearview mirror, the, it's easy to see, you know. Yeah, exactly. Which is also the great thing about getting older, I think, because so much yeah. of this stuff that you just angsted over, you know, just falls away, and you just think, you you li literally Samuel Beckett, but but not. I can't go on. I'll go on, but just you know, keep going. Just keep going. You know, so yeah. much is happening that you 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 have no control over. So just get on with it. Yeah. Uh, so I so this is where it gets complicated for me because this, there were so many kinds of work that 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 I made that there would just be too much to say about where I got to the work I'm making now. But I think the mm -hmm. common thread, because oh, I do a lot of sewing now, is is that I've, that I've always kind of, for whatever perverse reason, wanted to make a material do something that it wasn't kind of known for, right? So with paper, it was really, how, how can I take this material and, you know, and make it in, into an architectural scale? How, how can I make a drawing that is, you know, literally three-dimensional but still retains the language of drawing? Um, and I think I was making work with steel, um, and cement, you know, how can I make cement look soft and friendly until you get close to it? And then you realize, poof, you know, it's, it'll, it'll, it'll give you quite a bruise on the head if you try to snuggle up to it. So I think that kind of perversity, but then I also think that's theater, right? Because a lot of what you do in theater is you try to make this cheap piece of plywood and foam core look like a kind of, you know, Victorian drawing room. So, right. uh, you know, that, but I love just messing around with things um, and seeing what happens. Um, and then I think I am, I'm, I mean, maybe all artists are sponges, but perhaps because I live and work as well in the same place, um, you know, I'll, I'll do something and I'll think, oh my God, that is the exact color of my bathroom wall. I mean, exactly, you know, right. not come, come, you know, just what without me even knowing it. Um, but that, that's where we kind of fast forward to the last few years because key, I think, to the work that I'm now making is that I was living in a loft while it was undergoing gut renovation. Oh, yeah. So you were using some of those materials, right? As materials I was grabbing place. stuff. Um, you know, there's bits of foam in the new work. There's new work, I say. Um, the first the first time I showed the, this work was 2020. So, yeah, still relatively that new. That was at Spencer Brownstone, right? Yes, yeah. And and curtains, you know, bits of old duvet. I mean, and, and all the... the None of that was, I am going to use this as a document. Or, you know, it, it was just there and I just yeah. kind of grabbed it. The only thing, and I cannot explain this, um, or the only way I can explain it is by going into like, you know, magical, myst mystical land, um, it, it is the only thing, and I have no idea why, is that, is that when I started my job at Pratt in 2017, 
um, the summer before I started, I just kept having this thought, oh, you should get an industrial sewing machine. And I would think, you know, who said that? That's, I've never stitched a damn thing, you know, and, and actually Not I even did. in all those, not even in theater? No, I mean, the really weird thing, and, and, and you know, for, more for me because it would have been, I should have done this, but, but you know, the, the, the degree I did was theater set and costume design. Did I ever design oh, wow. a costume? No. Did I ever? I mean, I think I, we had to. There was a requirement that we did one, you know, pattern cutting class. I hated it. I hate being told what to do. You know, I hate it after, you know, well, first you do that. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in college now. I can do what I want. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I didn't do, you know, anyway. So, um, but it kept, and of course, and I was thinking, okay, the last thing you want to do, this was the practical side of me. Last thing you want to do is go out and buy an industrial sewing machine and then just have this big, heavy thing sitting there every space. day, yeah. taking up space, saying, well, that was dumb, wasn't it? You know, so I resisted. I resisted. Um, and then I have a good friend who had an industrial sewing machine. So I thought, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll go over and I'll take some stuff and I'll just play around. So I, I took apart one of the components, big paper components um, that was, had been in one of my larger installations. So I just flattened it. I took a bit of canvas. I took a bit, and then I took it over to my friend's studio and I kind of ran it through the machine. And I was like, whoa, this is nice. Yeah. This feels nice. This feels as nice as I remember kind of welding a bead felt. You know, yeah. it is nice as... as I was, I was, I could do this. I could, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a kind of mesmerizing. Um, and then I thought, and it's, it's another way of making a line. And for me, the, yeah. the, the, the thread has, has always really been drawing, um, you know, and, and the line and making the line, you know, with the weld, making the line, you know, with the ink, but, but also kind of the, the line becoming, not sitting on top, but becoming part of the thing. Um, like ink does when it goes into the paper and, and obviously like like the, the weld does and like now the stitch does it becomes and it's a functional it's necessary to um, you know put the thing together so that was like right yeah. so I got one off Craigslist um, and I knew nothing about it um, so much no nothing that when my very generous friend um, offered to help pick it up um, in the pickup truck, we picked up the table, um, you know, to lay it in the back of the truck and didn't realize that there's oil in the thing. I don't know whether you know, but, you know, you lift up this, this, right? It does this. And then there's a uh -huh. whole thing of oil. I don't know, of course. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, you know, then there's oil everywhere and my poor friends got oh, all over the back of the truck <laughs> and I ran down the street to a community garden and said, can I have some of your soil? Because there's oil all over the road and we don't want people to slip. So, and of course it was a Craigslist one. This, this is, this is a new one. First one oh, I right, right. new. <laughs> but the Craigslist one kept breaking down and I was like, bloody hell. And I would Google to try and find out how to fix it. And I, because it was old, the only model where I could find any, there was no manual, any kind of video on, they were all in Hindi. Because it seems that that particular oh, wow. model was very popular in India. And of course, I'd be looking at the mm -hmm. YouTube thing 
And I would be, no, 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 move the camera to the left. I need to see that particular component. And, and uh, then I had the bright idea of going around the neighborhood because of course there are all of these tailors. So, um, and this is what I love about making art because you end up doing the most absurd things. Research. <laughs> yeah. Just research go, you a... know, trying to communicate with a lot of these tailors, um, you know, most of whom are not English speakers and sort of indicating, can I look under your m- machine with my phone and take pictures? I mean, anyway. <laughs> But but they're like one, what the hell? What, <laughs> what is this person doing? <laughs> um, but a very kind chap did let me do that, um, and and I do like kind of tinkering with kind of machinery. A lot of a lot of the work that I made prior to this work was a lot of it had a very kind of me- mechanical, you know, nineteenth century industrial architecture, machines, all of that kind of stuff. So. I, I think I spent an entire weekend, you know, breaking the kind of mechanism of the machine down and putting it back together. And when I did it, I was just ecstatic. It was the best feeling ever. And you thought, why did I wait so just, long? Just, yeah. And so that's why I am like, you know, this, this, I don't want a sewing machine with a computer. Um, so anyway, um, yes, I love my cheeky. So you're making work with it. Because, you know, when I look th- back to like the Aldrich work, the, the installation mm. you did on the ceiling, I mean, that seems like like you need a big studio. But that's a commit. That's like a lot of physical mm. big. And, you know, the work that is done, the, the more it's not 2D, but, you know, the stuff that you're hanging on the wall seems a little mm. more. I mean, you're saying you're living where you're working, right? It mm. seems more manageable, maybe. Well, you know, I think you just, you know, it's like life, you just exchange one set of problems for another, you know, when, when, yeah, when I true. was making kind of, you know, big, heavy concrete and steel things, and I started working with paper, it was like, whoa, you know, marvelous. And then of course, they just got bigger and bigger. And but they were, they were big, and they took up a lot of space, but they were fragile. So you exchange, yeah. you know, the weight and the crane problem for the fra- fragility and the shipping problem. Um, and with, with the, the, these pieces I'm making now, um, I mean, some of them are big, some of them are sort of nine foot diameter. Um, not all of them can be rolled because some of them still have paper components. I mean, the work has always kind of recycled part pieces from previous work. Um, so some of them do. So, you know, they're, they're their own set of, of problems. But if I've never been somebody who's kind of thought about <laughs> that. <laughs> for making the work and one of the common questions um i would get with the paperwork um paperworks from you know galleries and potential collectors was you know how do i clean them and i I mean i would just say well i don't care to be honest you know i i I mean (laughs) yeah i mean you know a little brush i mean you know not i mean and with these you know you can actually hoover them right in the fabric so you can actually but but I think it's you know that's why I think again maybe because of the theatre I I never it never occurred to me that I was gonna that anybody would ever buy anything that I made or I was ever you know that's not how I was gonna make my money and there is so much liberation in that Um, I mean I would be desperately sad if I couldn't show it I think I think not being able to show work. you know, would be awful, but but 
But that's unlikely because even if you don't have a gallery or anybody kind of interested in, well, you just curate your own show and you find it, you know. Right. So, yeah. um, but yes, I think I think the practical side of things um, and the longevity, you know, do I care if these works outlive me? No. Um, you know, do do I? Yeah, it. I. I. And that that's also liberating, right? Not. To, it's just yeah, about will, what the work does in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I never. I feel like it's presumptuous to be like you know what, <laughs> what happens in my work three hundred or, or some when people talk about legacy or whatever. I'm like, who mm. cares? You're not here anymore. What does it matter? <laughs> What I know, but what? a lot of people you know. do. A lot of people do, and you know, they. I mean, fine. I. I don't. I don't. You know, that's them. That's that's. Um, uh, yeah, it, people are different. Whatever fuels you, yeah. you know, like if you're worried about yeah. what people think a hundred years from now, um, mm. if that makes you want to make better work or pushes you to mm. to be creative mm. or whatever, hey, that's fine. I just I never think about it because I'm like, well, once I'm out, I'm out. You know. Yeah, Onto the I, next I feel the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's a yeah. I try to keep things um, in the studio, and I, like I try to be intuitive and, and mm. not worry too much about the external stuff. You know, again, that's a. But then it's easy to say now. I think when you, you know, when you do something for a couple decades, two or three decades, you start to be like, you know what? I'm just gonna do like I'm. I'm gonna follow what I want to do. If people don't like it. All right, whatever. You know what I mean? You you don't care yeah. as much as you get older. You get comfortable in your desires and what you want to follow and how you want to push mm. things, you know? Oh, God, yes. I mean, I remember for the longest time, I I couldn't. I mean, it, it, I, mean I almost couldn't get the word out. You know, I, I could not say that I was an artist, right? Oh, really? I would say, oh, I make things. Um... And, you know, I think, again, that was some some something about, ooh, well, to be an artist must mean blah, 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 blah. And I'm not blah, 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 blah. Therefore, I'm not an artist. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really hard. Um, and now, uh, you know, I mean, yes, I'm an artist. And what does an artist do? Art and an artist makes things. Well, maybe actually, I would say no. An artist, um, you know, uh, prioritizes making things. I think that's that's the difference right, right. between you know so-called professional artist and a you know so-called hobby artist. You know, it is what you do and think about and talk about and are in community with other people about. Yeah, yeah, it's your it 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 is your life. You know that is the right. most important thing for me, anyway. Other people don't have to follow my rules, but yes, for me, that's what it means. Well, it's funny how that changes generations generationally too, because now it's like if you're not, if you don't have four things under your bio, like artist, curator, designer, <laughs> you know, like young people are not afraid to be like DJ, musician, mm. you know. In high school, you'll see. I mean, I have a teenager, so you see kids who ah, like, yeah, you yeah, know, be like, oh, which is great, yeah, yeah, which no, is it terrific. is. I There's mean, a I, I, of being able to yeah. identify as someone who does something more than more than one thing, which is, you know, back yeah. in my day in education, it was like you do one thing, and if you try to do oh, two, I you're see. Okay. In your practice, you know, it's you, you just got to stick yeah. to one thing. Don't be a, you know, a, a jack of all trades. 
master of none. And then, you know. Yes, so yes. That's nice that people can feel like they can be multidimensional. You know, the mm. only problem is, is when people, you know, spend two minutes on each thing or whatever. The speed culture sure. we're in now where it's like you just mm. move through things really quickly. There's the deep dive is not on vogue particularly True. i noticed mm. but you know i mean i i'm just continually kind of in the other day i was over in our senior um undergraduate painting studios um and i walked in and it was so quiet and all i could hear was oh, the everyone's on headphones no it's like it was it was but all i could hear was the you know sounds of 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 making um and you know, potentially some were on headphones, but still there was this atmosphere of of concentration, you know, of, of focus, of spending time, you know, with materials and with colour. And, and I would I just walk down the corridor and I would just look and there would be somebody, you know, painting and there would be somebody doing something. And it was just fabulous. Fabulous, and I think I think that, that the pandemic also. I mean, you know, everybody was making bread and propagating plants, and you know, the, the our ceramics area. It's not it's not one of our majors, but it's off the charts. Everybody wants to get in there and make things. I I think that was that was one of the positive kind of things that that we rediscovered um, during during lockdown was that connection. Yeah. And spending time, you know, with yourself alone, although, you know, alone with books, alone with music, alone with podcasts, um, there's something of something's really valuable and meaningful um, about about that, because because our culture is so scared of being alone Ooh, being alone. You know, that's bad. Um, Personally, I know you're going to be an artist. My favorite. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to your life. I mean, white walls and room. All yeah. by yourself, you gotta be yeah. okay with that, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think these days, younger people are more okay being a lot. Like when I was in undergraduate school, that place was jumping. I mean, we were sleeping mm. there. Like there was nothing else mm. to do. You know what I mean? And mm. we, we had like a fear. Like if you're alone, you don't have a phone. You don't have Netflix. You don't you're have right. all this you stuff really to are. keep you yeah, busy. Yeah. You were just mm. sitting there, bored off your ass. Mm. So you're like, I'm gonna go hang out with everyone. Mm. You know. Now mm. I think people, they're okay with mm. being alone. There's a lot of stuff to like yeah. entertain you, you know, and the That's younger true. people yeah. who went through COVID, yeah. unfortunately, they got real accustomed and accustomed oh, yeah. to learning. Awful. We won't open this book, mm. but accustomed to mm. learning online and how education oh, yeah. shifted. Mm. We're going to, mm. that's going to mm. bake into. Oh, I mean, we're seeing it already time. for sure. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I mean, boredom, I mean, that's, I mean, I, that, that is, oh God, I'm not, I hope my parents don't listen to this. They know. I already told them. Oh my god, it was so boring. You know that that just you know I just remember. Other than we spent two years in Kuwait because um, my dad had a job over there, and that was kind of unbelievable. And actually, maybe maybe that's partly why when we got back, it was so doubly, triply boring because you know oh, I yeah. realized that there was this other thing. <laughs> there are other places where stuff yeah. happens. And people think differently and, you know, and then we're back to this, you know, mock Tudor semi-detached in Rains Park and, you know, wearing navy blue Macintoshes and walking down the side of a dual carriageway in the miserable rain to get a bus that only comes in threes. I mean, just 
so boring and then walking up the path on a Friday afternoon and the curtains drawn and opening the front door and hearing opera coming from the living room oh my god kill me now so I think you know (laughs) but I am so grateful mum and dad (laughs) for that boredom well creativity is boredom boredom, isn't it exactly no exactly but um but you know actually that's funny that just that reminds me of um and maybe oh my god this is why it's good talking to people thank you brian you've reminded me of something that's why i do this every week (laughs) oh my god but yeah so i i i now remember when the wallpaper in my bedroom was changed oh my god Yes, I, I remember, I, was, I remember how awful it was, but I chose it. <laughs> um, so I remember going to bed and obviously, the, you know, it was just that day that the final piece and then waking up in the morning. In this hole, you. Oh my God, yes. That, and you know, I don't know. There was something, I just, yes, that was thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. How, how just putting yeah. something else you know, around you could... Could, so if you can't change your if you can't change your location you know change change your location does that make sense if you can't right you can't yeah, move totally. and actually i do i uh, yeah in fact that's funny because i just did that yesterday my office on campus i just i just rearranged all of the furniture and it's like yeah. oh it's like having a new office a new place yeah <laughs> i love change you know it's my favorite thing <laughs> yeah i think we as artists you know it's i I always have that thing where when I finish something, you know, I'm just so thinking about the next thing. Mm. And sometimes people are like, oh, you know, if you ever talk to someone about your work who's not mm. necessarily an artist or knows that much about it, they're like, oh, is it really hard to depart from your work or like mm. to see your work go away? I'm like, no, mm. I don't care. It's like, mm-hmm. drop the kids off at school next, you know? Oh, <laughs> we are so the on the same page with that, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> because for some people it's torturous. And no, I'm like, yep, great. Get oh, rid yeah. of it. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. look at it anymore. I'm like, get out of the house. Mm. Don't come back. <laughs> I don't need to go have fun. Live your life. I'm going to work on the next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You exactly. know, I just don't live in the... P- but then again, I don't really live in the past that much. So, Mm-mm. you know, some some people, mm. they, they have that separation anxiety. Mm. Um, true, well, so true. what is your... I mean, you're, I imagine you're very busy on the, the, you know, education side of what you're doing. But like, what's your studio? I mean, is it... Is it hard to find time in the studio when you're so busy else doing these other things? Or, or do you have a pretty regimented studio situation? Oh, I'm, or, I'm or very... is it driven by finish lines of like having a target date for something and that really forces you? You know, a lot of people need that. No, I mean, I, I, think, I think that this is... Um, that my working week, it, it's very social. There's a lot of conversations. There's a lot of, and I love that. It's, it's, it's it's great. Um, I do not want to see anybody um, on a, you know, from a Friday through end of day, Sunday, I'm, I'm in my studio. Um, Sorry, I ruined that for today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually I was going to qualify. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to qualify that by saying usually, you know, Friday yeah, there's a lot of emails and stuff like that. And but but oh, but okay. yeah, but yeah, gotta get that, you know, the, by and the large, day. yeah, the sat the Saturday, the the, the Sunday, um, you know, and I and I love it. I look forward to it. I listen to stuff. Um, 
you know, I mean, of course, not always, right? You know, there is, we go through right. cycles in work and if I've yeah, just yeah, made, yeah. you know, a lot of work, I'll go. I mean, the thing that suffers for sure is, um, you know, social life. Um, and I think the thing I, I really do not do as much of, but, you know, I just can't, um, is go out and about and see, see things. Um, you know, see the I shows, you know, friends and, and I feel terrible about that. Um, you know, especially as, you know, the wonderful thing also about, about being at Pratt is I've met, met so many more great people, you know, the faculty, the alumni, you know, just, and of course, as every year goes by, there's more and more, um, and it's just not possible. And, and in fact, the Dean, when I first got hired, you know, and, and we were having some conversation about the workload and stuff. And um, and I said, well, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, you're the dean, so it's not just one department. It's, you know, the eight departments in the School of Art. And, and he just said, you know, I do what I can. And other than that, I, I can't even think about it. You can't think about upsetting this person or not being. So... Um, Yes, that's that's how I, that's how I do it, and and I and I and then the great thing is by Monday morning I'm like oh right people excellent haven't seen yeah. any for a while let's go and have a chat with them, um, so it works so so I haven't found it um, I mean would I like a three day week oh yes <laughs> of course right. yeah. because then I would but you know um, I I love my job does it get frustrating of course. Um, sometimes am I just, what the hell am I doing? Especially during a pandemic that was not pleasant for all kinds of reasons, obviously. But, um, by and large, I think, wow, how fortunate am I to, 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 um, you know, to be able to do two things that I love because I don't think about, oh, I have to, you know, I have to do the academic thing. Um, I wish I didn't, I can't wait till I retire. Um, I don't think like that at all yet. Well, that's good. I'm sure the time that's will come. <laughs> There's plenty of people in that yeah. boat. <laughs> then again, I would yeah, imagine but, working for an art school different than university. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, honestly, we, we have, we really have. I mean, when I, when I think sometimes at a faculty meeting, you know, and I'm looking around at all of the people, I'm thinking, whoa, you know, there are, you know, these people are, you know, great artists, you know, we, there's a, there's a, people have good sense of humor. I mean, you know, down to every single individual, not, 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 maybe not, but, um, you know, vast majority, I think we have a very kind of happy, happy department. Um, and our students, um, I feel for them deeply because they have had a really, really rough time and they are, there, you know, there are serious challenges, um, and they need support, um, but, you know, when I look at the work they're making, uh, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, where do you have anything, like if people are interested in your work, where do they go? Do you have anything coming out? Or is there anything that you want to share with people who want to check out your stuff? Yes, I will have a show in the fall um, with nice. with uh, uh, Spencer Brownstone. So, um, you know, it's so weird because when I was making the big architectural scale pieces that were often very site specific, um, you know, I would show 
what I was showing in institutions, but but also the idea of having you know having a show with your gallery every two years, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and of course, since I've been making work that's that's less like that, um, you know, I'm thinking, oh my god, it's it's three years since my last show. I need to have another show because all of my painting friends are having them every two years. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but to shows. actually you know to actually commit to actually say that out loud is you know it's always well boom now you've got a deadline but I I mean I have I have a lot of work I think and I think the thing that I really really enjoy I have a I have a model um over over there of the gallery and this definitely comes from theater right you would make your scale model um and what I really love playing around with with my little you know my little scaled pieces is how they're going to go not necessarily that that's how they have to go on but but you know what other elements what, what, how can I stage the work? Um, how can, right. you know, so, so that is, is real, a lot of fun. So that's kind of part of where I'm at right now. Strobe lights and disco balls. <laughs> Only on the opening, <laughs> the opening like the night, club. dancing, right, right. dancing. Bring it back to those East Village days. That's full circle. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, um. It was great talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you for like, I don't want to, it's your Friday. You got stuff to do, but I, I could probably talk to you for to about do. 10 hours. Um, but <laughs> it was great to meet you. Thanks so much for yes, doing Yes. Yes. Maybe we will meet in person sometime. Yeah. I'd love to find we out should. more about your work as well, as well, Brian. I'm probably like 10 minutes away. So. No way. Are you? <laughs> no. Are you I mean, in the neighborhood? Well, I'm in e- oh. No, I'm in East Williamsburg, but it's not that far. Oh, not far all okay well let's let's make that happen yeah sounds good thanks so much